everyone, and thanks for listening. You're listening to another episode of Bright Lights, Consumer Trends in Conversation with Element 54. I'm your host, Julianne Ng, Executive Vice President at Element 54. With the return of in-person conferences since the pandemic began over two years ago, and the upcoming 75th anniversary edition of the ESOMAR Congress in Toronto this month, we thought it'd be interesting to speak with a small group of industry leaders to get their thoughts on three questions. ESOMAR is a membership organization serving the global business community of insights and analytics. In today's episode, I'm excited to be speaking with Kristen Luck. Kristen is the current president of ESOMAR and also serves as an advisor and growth strategist to firms in marketing services and technology through her consultancy, Scalehouse. She's the founder of three marketing analytics companies that she led to successful private equity-backed exits. In addition to her work at Scalehouse, Kristen is a licensed investment banker with Oberon Securities and a founder focused on helping fellow founders and executive teams scale and monetize their businesses. Her deal expertise on both sides of transactions comes from participating in both acquisitions and exits from $30 million to $225 million. She's also passionate about supporting founders in international markets to execute their entry into the U.S. Kristen regularly contributes to both the commercial and academic press, where she explores emerging marketing and research methods. She's consistently ranked as one of the top 100 sales and branding experts to follow on social media. She's also the founder of Women in Research, WIRE, which supports a community of over 15,000 researchers globally. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. It's a pleasure to have you as our guest today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to get started. Are you ready for our three questions? I sure am. Great. Question number one. This year's ESAMAR Congress looks to the future and asks, what if? What's the what if question that excites you most as it relates to research and insights and why? Wow, there's so many what if questions in this industry these days. <laughs> uh, I I think when you when you look at and I'll use SMR's uh, global markets report as as sort of a basis for for answering this question and and I'll use some of the data from 2021. Although everyone will be thrilled to know that the latest edition is coming out in uh, maybe two or three weeks, so right around Congress. Uh, which um, is typically when when we publish it. So new new data coming soon. Uh, but when you when you look at the opportunities for this industry, they're less in traditional research as they have been in in previous years, and more focused not just on the technology sector, which is I think traditional research firms for years have sort of looked at the tech sector and particularly research tech and and envied the valuations those companies get and the the growth of of those firms in that sector but if you if you look at some of the gmr data you'll also see that what is driving a lot of growth in the industry is is consulting and, and big consulting so if you're looking at like the mckinsey's the bcgs the baines those are consulting firms that have this value add component that they're bringing to the table that is deeper than just research, but in many cases also in, includes in market activation or design services, some, some additional uh, skill sets that I think many research firms are not adept at, at delivering. And so I think my, my big what if is what, you know, what if we were able to evolve as an industry such that we, we were 
really competing in, in that consultancy space and less in a primary survey research, just kind of delivering a, a you know, a, a, a report of basic survey results, which is, I think, what the bulk of traditional re research firms still tend to rely on. That's a very interesting um, answer, and it's something that I've been thinking about as well. So even though this is not my second question, it's going to be a build <laughs> off of what you just answered, yeah. which is, do you, what do you think it's going to take for what you're referring to as the traditional research firms to get to that consultancy space? Uh, I think it's it's a few things. I think one is that as an as a practice, research firms need to not only be reliant on primary survey data, which I know is the space that we play in that folks are most comfortable in, but to also look at other types of data as 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 opportunities to augment traditional research and provide a more holistic view of what is going on with either a company or a brand. And I had this really interesting conversation with, with Pavi Gupta, who was the head of research at Johnson & Johnson a few years ago, and now, not to create any confusion, is in research at SC Johnson now. Hmm. <laughs> and Pavi and I were, were having a, a conversation about the use of multiple data sets, and he told me a story about when he was working at Johnson & Johnson, the CMO came in after a meeting and said, hey, the, the research presentation that you gave was really interesting, but uh, what about what about the results of, of uh, reporting on the POS or point of sale data? Or what about the data from Salesforce? And, and Pavi looked up and said, well, I'm a researcher. I, I just work with survey data. Uh, and then he said he went home that night and realized that if he didn't really get a quick understanding of how to integrate those other data sources, that he wasn't gonna have a job. Uh, in the not too distant future. And so he did a great presentation that I saw a few years ago about how he's sort of integrating these these uh, these disparate data sets that I think is super interesting and I think a, a good learning uh, you know case study for a lot of the full service research suppliers who still are struggling to understand how to how to utilize other forms of data uh, to provide more more meaningful and more actionable results for clients. And what do you think then would be the the skill set of what these firms should be looking for when hiring for the future? Yeah, so Joaquin Brecha, who's the SMR past president right now, so he was in the term before me, he he used this uh, uh, great description of what researchers need to become, which I really like. And it's it's not so much data analysts as data translators. And I think that that translation component is really important. It's about being adept at working with multiple types of data and being able to translate that into, into more meaningful results. And so that means upskilling ourselves, I think, on tools and um, methods that allow us to dig deeper in, into data and different types of data. Uh, and, and that means, in many cases, having to learn a, a programming or different analytics uh, language um, in some cases, it could be hiring uh, data science, science um, someone with a data science background that doesn't necessarily come out of this industry, but understands how to mine and, and aggregate through different types of data sources. So I think there's there's a lot of opportunities, and I'm a 
I'm a big fan too of lifelong learning. I don't think that we're ever too old or too experienced to to learn new things. And so um, I would say, you know, if you're running a a full service or more traditional research company, now is really the time to upskill yourself. I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that because I think lifelong learning is actually the basic foundation for anybody who's going to be successful in this industry, whether it's now or or in the future. Absolutely. Okay, so thank you for for that first response. And now question number two. It's been a while for many attending an in-person conference. Thinking of industry conferences in general, how do you think this and other conferences may evolve coming out of the pandemic and why? Yeah, this is this is SMR's first conference post-pandemic that we're that we're hosting face to face. I think what's been What's been interesting, having gone to a few conferences already this year, is that there there's a lot more focus on on hybrid events. So, not just hosting an in person event, but also having online opportunities for people that either may not be able to travel or prefer not to travel and participate. And which I think which I think is really interesting, and which ironically SMR has been doing for years. I mean, for I, as long as I've been a member. Or, probably not, maybe not as long as I've been a member, but certainly in the last five to six years pre-pandemic, we always offered SMR TV. So if you were unable to attend Congress, you could at least get a taste of the conference from, from home. You could watch pieces of it online, which I think is is really interesting. I also think that people are uh, uh, moving at a slightly slower pace, I think maybe than, than pre-pandemic. I know for me, definitely my first conference back was really exhausting. I just was not used to that much networking and that much social interaction all day, every day. And so although I think that there are still a significant number of networking opportunities, I, I do feel like uh, conference organizers are being a little more gentle with the pace of the conference and how they're spacing out presentations and networking events uh, so that folks can can really kind of get back into the swing of things. So the with the hybrid approach, do you feel like there's anything that anybody who doesn't who chooses not to attend in person would be missing out on? Oh, for sure. I, I think that you know having presented at hybrid conferences as somebody who was a presenter and not actually at the conference and everyone that was attending was actually all in the same room it was a little disconcerting as a presenter to be presenting and not being able to see the audience or their reaction to certain things so from a presenter standpoint it's a little unnerving I, I think in the hybrid format certainly with a conferences big as SMR Congress if you're if you're watching SMR TV online you're not getting the full scope of the conference because there's just no way that we can record and stream that many sessions so you're really just getting kind of what I would consider a highlights reel uh, you know the good news is if you're an SMR member you can see all of the papers online uh, and eventually you would be also uh, able to access a recorded version of the presentation so you might not be able to see it in in the moment which I think is is you know really I think part of the joy of attending a conference, but you, you know you would have access to that to that eventually. Just not you know obviously it's not the same as sort of being there face face to face and being to interact with presenters and ask questions. Yeah, I'm um, 
I'm very excited to actually be attending this conference as being the first one since the pandemic. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I think we're we're super excited to be hosting live. I know we've been uh, extremely anxious to get back to face to face events, and we had a lot of discussion uh, toward the end of last year about whether or not we were going to attempt to do Congress face to face. Where you know SMR is in a really unique situation in a lot of ways because we do host a global event. Our members are global, and so because of that, we're very much reliant on people traveling in order to attend our events. And if borders aren't open or there's another wave of COVID or people are nervous about traveling or about being in person, then it has a pretty dramatic impact on our ability to host a good show. So we were extremely grateful that our registration levels for this event are the highest that they have been uh, in years. People are very enthusiastic about getting back together in person. and. Fortunately, uh, Canada's borders remain open and we're very excited to be in Toronto and um, and that COVID for the most part seems to be under control. So many, uh, many uh, things to be thankful for. Yeah, very excited for, um, for that to happen. And it just feels like the timing is right. I know last year there were some thoughts about would it happen, would it not? But right. I think we're in a good place now. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I'm, I'm really encouraged by the level of response that we've had, uh, how many people have registered in all the different countries where people are traveling from. So it's, it's going to be a great show. Fantastic. Now, last question. What are you most optimistic about the future um, for the insights industry and why? Well, I think that our industry becomes more important and more relevant as more businesses are accustomed to utilizing and and working with data and that they understand the value of insights. And I think one of the things that's been interesting to me is obviously like there's been a lot of talk about or debate about, are we in a recession right now? Uh, you know, there are some economic indicators that are negative, but there's also some really positive economic indicators, which makes the time that we're doing business in right now a bit confusing for folks. I think one of the things that's in encouraging is that I think in the past, in recessionary times, oftentimes companies would cut back on research uh, or uh, they would they would spend spend less or or cancel their research budget altogether because uh, they didn't they didn't want to use those monetary resources to test copy or products or you know what have you what i think has changed is that companies now are a lot more data savvy and they realize the importance of of using research to really tune what advertising and products they put out and they understand that even in in situations where times are tough it always makes more sense to test something before you take it to to market and so I don't think that we're seeing the same kind of negative impact on, on the industry that we may have seen during other potentially re recessionary times. And I think the fact that data is so prevalent now, it just makes our industry, you know, ever, ever more relevant um, and, and necessary and, and valued. And so I think it's an exciting time to be in this sector. Yeah, the research um, or insights industry has always been 
um, interesting that way in terms of that dynamic during recessionary times where on one hand, it seems like it could be one of the first budgets to be cut as part of marketing. But on the other, it's also where you'd want to double down on in order to make the most of the investments that you still have. So um, we found that business has been strong and we're very fortunate to, to be in that situation. Absolutely. And if I, if I put on my investment banking hat for a moment, I'll also say that interest in the sector and in acquiring companies remains extremely strong. There's a ton of interest. There's more buyers than there are sellers right now. And so because of that, valuations remain really high. So, uh, and you know, that's a, that's a, a, a great thing, I think, for our for this, this industry as well, the fact that these businesses are still achieving very high valuations and that there is still tremendous interest in uh, the value of in investing in the sector. That's very good to know. So thank you so much, Kristen, for your time this morning. Yeah, my pleasure. And I look uh, forward to seeing you at SMR Congress. I look forward to seeing you soon as well. Thanks again. If you're interested in hearing more about industry and consumer trends from different experts, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to Bright Lights, Consumer Trends, and Conversation with Element 54. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode or know someone else who would, we'd love to hear from you. Just reach out to me through LinkedIn or at julianne.ng at element-54.com. Thank you for listening.